The following story has been brought to you by storiestoinspire.org. When I was 17, 18 years old, every year I lived for camp. My whole life was Camp Pagoda. I lived the whole year for Kalawa. I loved it. I lost every year except when I was general. So at least Hashem gave me that. Okay? But one year, Purim time, my father says to me, face off this year, you're not going to camp. I was frightened. What do you mean I'm not going? You know how much I love camp. I thought maybe he couldn't afford it. Brisbane with town. I don't know what happened. Maybe more girls this year. I don't, like I couldn't imagine. Why am I not going to camp? He says, no, I'm going to send you someplace better than camp. I said, Pa, there's nothing better than camp. What could be better than camp? Now, this is 1964. He said, Eretz Yisrael. Now, before the Six-Day War, Bahram didn't go to learn in Eretz Yisrael like they go today. Girls didn't go to seminary. To me, going to Eretz Yisrael in 1964 was like going to farmland. Like after Moshe Rabbeinu with the desert, he walked into another desert, which was Eretz Yisrael. That's how I pictured Eretz Yisrael. Oh, why are you sending me to Eretz Yisrael? He said, it's going to change your life. Because all the Gedolim, there's a Knesset Gedolim going to be there. And Rav Kreisroth is going to be there. And Rav Moshe Feinstein is going to be there. And all the Tzaddikim are going to be there. All the big Rosh Hashivas, Rav Hatzko Sarna, and Rav Moshe Chavreini, and Rav Zalman Srotskit. All, they're all going to be there. And I want you to go there. That was actually the first time when I saw Rav Shom Shadron. I had never even heard of him before. And he says, you're going to go with your tape recorder. Now, you got to picture this tape recorder, right? It wasn't, it wasn't a small cassette. It was like a big boom box, reel to reel. You know, you're walking around with this big thing. He said, you're going to tape the sessions, and I'm going to have you stay another uh, month. You go to Rabbi Yilapian, and you go to all the tzaddikim, and you go and you record them, you take pictures. You'll see. It'll be the greatest thing in your life. Okay? So I went, and it was taka extraordinary. The, the Binyan Eomah was just being finished. The scaffolding was still there. They had not finished it yet, you can imagine. And it was electrifying. Just to hear Rav Moshe and to see Rav Kreisworth quote like a daft balpe. I never saw anything like it until I met Rav Moshe Weiss afterwards. Right? You know how these people, like, like they know shots on the teleprompter. It's unbelievable. But uh, still remember Rav Kreisworth talking about Rav Prado, How he said that Rav Prado, how he learned 400 times. And, and the Rebbe had to tell it over, you know, 400 times. It was amazing. Anyhow, in those days, those of you old enough to remember, there were no telephones in Eretz Yisrael. Today, everybody's got three cell phones, but then there was no telephone. If you wanted to make a call, you had to go to the post office, if you remember. And you had to make an appointment. You had to figure out what the time zones, when they're sleeping in America, when they're up, was so confusing. For two months, I didn't talk to my parents. But every single day, I got a letter from them. And I wrote back, and I still treasure those letters that I got from my parents in those days. And one day I get a letter from my father. It's near the end of the trip. He says, you know, you're coming home in a few few days. It's Elul. I heard that there's somebody who goes, wakes up people for slichas. I heard that like three, four o'clock in the morning, there's a guy who goes and wakes up people. Could you go out with your tape recorder and record him? <laughs> and I'm thinking, this is crazy. I mean, I'm going to go three, four o'clock in the morning. I don't even know the streets of Yerushalayim. And my father doesn't even know if this guy exists. And I'm supposed to record him? So I answered every letter except that one. <laughs> a few days later, I get a call. Uh, not a call. I get another letter. Maybe the mail hasn't been working so good, but I wrote you a letter that you didn't answer. Maybe you could go and record this person who wakes up people for slichas. It's my father. He asked me a second time. Okay, so I wasn't going to go myself. I was terrified. So I found another American boy who was learning a Chavon Yeshiva at that time. And I said, you know, would you come with me? I've got to do this with my father. And now in those days, if you remember, before the Six-Day War, we didn't have the old city. We didn't have the Kaisel. 
Does anybody remember how far the Gvul went? There was a gate. Anybody remember what it was called? The Mandelbaum Gate, right? It was right where Miri Yeshiva is today. So we're walking at night, and you don't, you don't hear anything, you don't see anything. All of a sudden, in the distance, I hear somebody say, so I think that's what my father wants. I can do that. Like, what's the big deal? Right? So, okay, now, you have to picture this. This guy is a small little man. He's an elderly gentleman. Never, ever does he see anybody three, four o'clock in the morning. And suddenly, two guys are running towards him with a chayfetz chashud. You know, like with a big thing that he has no idea what this is. And he says, oh, he was guilty for me. Like, what do you want? He told me, I'm not. I said, don't worry. We're Zen Americans. Like, that's the answer for all the Meshagasim. <laughs> Nothing to worry about, right? We're Zen Americans. He said, was guilty. I said, in Shuldik Rabbi, the chvesit of the vase for the sis. I don't know if you know what this is. This is a tape recorder. And, and you, if you say something, then I could play it for my father. I'm going back to America in a few days. He says, yeah, but was guilty. So I said, my father said that there's a Yid that sings a niggin that wakes up people for slichas. Do you know who that Yid is? He looks me up and down and he says, Dos is mir. I said, Dos is dear? Yeah, you do it? He said, please, please do me a favor. It's Kibudav. He asked me twice. Is there any way that you could sing it for me and I'll record it? Now, I am so embarrassed to do this, but I'm going to do it because you'll never forget this for the rest of your life. You have to picture this. It's total blackness. The only thing that you could see on the other side of the Jordan, that hotel, which was on top of Mount Olives, the Jordanian hotel. And he goes like this. He clears his throat and he goes like this. Yisrael am Kodosh then he looks at me and he says, Okay? Oh, was that okay? Yisrael am Kodesh, Yisrael the holy nation, shteit oif lavoidas abode, get up to the work of your creator. Rod's got speed, that's what he's talking about, the beginning of Shulchanarach. The mission of us, run like a deer, give our karibi, strong like a lion. Without exaggeration, my father, Shalom, must have heard that tape a hundred times. Every morning, every night. And that was the first year Rabshon Shadron came to America. When your father came to visit him. And Rab Shalom, one night was sitting at the table. My father says to Rab Shalom, I want to bring you back to Eretz Yisrael. He says, what's means to Rab Avram? He says, listen. And he starts playing this tape recording. And Rab Shalom is sitting there and tears are coming down his cheeks. And then when he finishes, when that man finishes that Nusach, Rab Shalom says, oh yeah, I remember him so many years ago when he was a young man. I was five years old. I was in my bed four o'clock in the morning. I used to hear him every night. And then after he finished, I wrapped myself in my blanket and I went back to sleep. <laughs> Such a precious memory of Rav Shalom Shadron. But that's how you didn't get up for slichas. That's what they're doing right now. My father passed away when I was 21. My Tante Vegi knows very well. I'm the oldest of seven children. I walked down all my brothers and sisters together with my mother to the Hasna. And so it was, it was so close. There was nothing that we didn't share. Even after I got married, I just moved two blocks away from her because I have a wonderful wife who became literally her best friend. So how could anybody, especially my nephew, tell me a new story about my mother? But he did.
He calls me up a few days before Pesach this year and he says, I want to tell you something about Bobby. I never told it to you before because I didn't understand it when it happened. But he said, now I'm a Rebbe in Edison and I was just teaching the children something. And now I understand everything that happened that last day of her life. I said, Hoodie, what are you talking about? And his name is Rabbi Huda Gutman. He lives in Lakewood. He's a Rebbe in Edison. And he told me like this. It was the last day of my mother's life, the second day of Sukkot. She was nifted right after Yantif on the second day as Cholomite began. He said, I didn't know if she was lucid anymore. She certainly, when I spoke to her, she wasn't responding. But I said to her, Bobby, today it's Sukkot. I have the Lulav and the Esrik. Would you like to make the bracha? And we'll shake the Lulav and Esrik together. She didn't say anything. So I took the Lulav and Esrik, I put it in her hands, and I put my fingers around her fingers. And I said, Bobby, let's say the bracha. And he said, I said the bracha until us Lulav, and we shook the Lulav all sides. I don't know if she said the bracha, but certainly we shook the Lulav on all sides. And then I wanted to take it away from her, but she held on to it. She wouldn't let it go. I said, Bobby, we made the bracha already. We shook the lulav. Let me take it. And she wouldn't let me take it. So I saw what he said. If she doesn't want to take it, if she doesn't want to let go, so I'm going to let her hold it. So she held it. And as soon as I let my fingers go, she took the lulav and the estrog to her lips. She kissed it and she gave it back to me. I said, I was amazed. I never saw anybody do that. And I didn't understand. But like, she didn't, I don't think she said the bracha and she's not responding. But obviously she knew enough that she was holding the Advar Mitzvah, Dava Kodesh. And she kissed it and gave it back to me. She's, he says to me, I never told you about this because I didn't understand why she did it. This year I was learning and I was teaching my kids, the kids in the class, the Berhetev and Hilfas Hafikaiman, or Chaim Tov, Ayin Zion, Aleph, you could look it up. The Simon is 477, Sifkot and Aleph. Listen to this. Kosav writes, I saw the mentioned. They used to kiss the matzahs and the mora at the Seder. I never in my life kissed the matzah until this year. Me and all my grandchildren, we all kissed the matzah this year. I wasn't ready to do the mora, but the matzah I did. And I'll tell you another thing. When I started telling people this, somebody called me and said, you know what, Rav Huttner said, you know why you kissed the mora? He wouldn't believe it. It's an Indian of Kabbalah, Yisurim Ba'ava. Only Rav Huttner could come up with that. Kabbalah, Yisurim Ba'ava, that's why you kissed the matzahs and the mora. Then, the Be'ahitiv continues, V'chein Sukkah. The sukkah also, they used to kiss it, just like we kiss the mezuzah. Person walks in, kisses the sukkah, the walls of the sukkah. Inside, when it goes in, when it goes out, the chain, dalad minin. And also to kiss the dalad minin, the lulav and the esrig. Why is this? To show how much you love the mitzvah. Fortunate are those who serve Hashem b'simcha. Now I tell you, I'm the only one of my shul who kisses a lulav and an esrik? I've been doing it for years because my mother did it. I never understood why she did it, but my mother did it, so I did it. But this is the reason. Because you show that you love the mitzvah. So you kiss the matzah, and you kiss the morar, and you kiss the sukkah. Now, when your children see how you love a mitzvah, they're going to love a mitzvah. Enjoyed this story? Come again. Bring a friend. Stories to inspire.org.